Hi, this is Sylvie Curry from Ramona, California, and I'm listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. The barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings, a live fire, fun, and frivolity show. If you have wanted to jump in low these many weeks, months, and years with a live fire take, and you don't know how to get in touch with me, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com. Or on the Twitter and Instagrams at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's going on in about 13 minutes from now. He has become a almost monthly recurring guest and more than quarterly, I would say, as we race through 2021 here as it's rapidly coming to a close. Our new friend, the contributing barbecue editor to Southern Living Magazine, Robert Moss, rejoins the show. Tonight, folks, I both love and hate to say it, and I do say this, of course, with peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. If you have long had the argument, conversation, word fisticuffs over if a hot dog is a sandwich or not, Again, I am both sad and happy to tell you that Robert Moss is putting that conversation to bed this evening. He is going to give you a yes or no answer. Furthermore, he's going to back it up with results and research and other academic stuff that I typically don't have anything to know about or to deal with. I'm fly by the seat of my pants. Everything is fake news unless it's my news. All that good stuff. Not Robert. This guy is well-versed in putting facts forward, so we will wait for that incredible segment. Tell all your friends and neighbors all about it. We'll touch on some other things as well, not the least of which. Last weekend, Robert was a student of Stephen Reichland's Barbecue University down there in South Carolina as well, so we'll get his take on that. Then we'll move 35 past the hour. Not a first-time guest, but a second-time guest, and his last Guest appearance was five years ago, actually a little over five years ago, for what many people think that I am and or lend to the live fire community. My guest at 35 past the hour is the same for the whiskey community, host of Whiskey Cast, which can be found at whiskeycast.com or on your podcast platforms. I am happy to have Mark Gillespie back in the house. 
Returning to the Barbecue Central Show jungle, we're going to be talking about where liquor has gone over the last five years, play a little catch-up. There was a brilliant conversation that he had on his most recent episode about the history of alcohol. I wanted to ask him a specific question about that, and uh, perhaps we will get a cocktail recipe from somebody who, as you will see from his background, as you were soundchecking, has no shortage of drams to pour from. So that's your first hour. Second hour, super busy. Top of the hour, of course, we will be getting into telling you who will be into the finals as we push into month four of the Barbecue Central Show American Idol edition. Because at the top of the second hour, we will be eliminating one of those final three that sang our asses off last week. The judges have had their piece to say, but more importantly than that, the votes are in. They closed down at midnight last night. Somebody is going home. That means two contestants are going to the finals, which will find a pre-recorded duet. And then where we really cap it and show you that this show has legs going into a season three at some point. We will sing live right here on the show in the finals to see who comes out a week later as season two champion. Very exciting stuff. After that, 14 past the second hour, we'll be joined by a first-time guest, but somebody who we uh, peripherally have folks in common, which is kind of the case here in the Live Fire community anyway. He's got a competition team named Swine Life Barbecue. He's got a very budding YouTube channel as well. I'm happy to have Mark Williams joining the show. He'll actually be joining me from the podcast studios of the How to Barbecue Right headquarters because Mark works with Malcolm. So we'll learn all about Mark and how he got to team up with Malcolm and his competition life and growing a YouTube channel. And we'll get some recipes. I had a listener email me, said, oh, I heard you're having Mark on. He introduced me to such and such. I'm teasing you, I know. But we'll get to that recipe at 14 past the second hour and then closing out the show. First timer, a lot of first timers here on the show this evening. Jason Baumgartner, now first time guest to the show, but he has been listening since 2013 or 2014. So we give him thanks and praise for being a longtime centralite. He is one of the organizers for the upcoming Smoke on the Mountain Barbecue Contest. And if that sounds familiar, it's because last time Malcolm Reed was on, he had went on to say that he was going to be competing at this contest. But what really put it over the top for him and why he wants to go, and especially try and win it, is because the winner or the GC of this event gets a real live, real ready-ass-to-play banjo. And who's doing that anymore? I don't know anybody that's doing that. There is reason for that, particularly where it's at in Virginia. So we'll talk to Jason about the contest and how it has evolved and what has happened here over the last couple of years and how he's got it back into what it is. Hopefully at the end of July, there is room still. So if you're looking for a competition and you're a competitor, there'll be an SCA event attached to that. Plus something else that I'll talk to you about that might make it doubly attractive. I tease it in the newsletter. So Lots to look forward to here on the show. Don't forget, you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat for a live video feed. You can go to Facebook or Twitch slash BBQ Central Show over on YouTube slash RD Rempe. Now, I do have an Apple subscription update on the heels of me taking Apple to task last week for offering 
what really is an incredibly complicated way to offer ad-free adverti- uh, ad-free listening to the podcast feed for those folks that are interested. Last Thursday, I was finally able to get approved, and now it is in the Apple Podcast listings. So if you aren't subscribed or use Apple Podcast, it's a little extra info. A lot of people use it. So if you're not subscribed to me, go into the Apple Podcast, search B- The BBQ Central Show, and then as you uh, click on the icon, it will bring you, and you'll see a little graphic that says, I think it says subscribe here, something along these lines, so you'll be able to pay a small monthly fee, and by doing that, you will have all of the ads removed, or all of my live reads removed from the podcast feed. doesn't help the live listeners, of course. Because the live listeners love everything I say, no matter what. Podcasters, a little bit more discerning. So if you want to, it is available to you specifically through Apple podcast platform. Outside of Apple, if you don't use that or you don't care to use it, there still is an ad-free additional option over at the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Show. And that will actually interact with most of your favorite podcast platforms anyway. So it's certainly up to you. Cost is the same on either side. Whatever you want to do, do one, both, neither. Doesn't matter to me. Just an extra offering. Listener feedback from the show here before we get to the first break. And then we get to Robert Moss. Steve writes in, Greg, thanks for the sponsors list page on the website. I just loaded the last of the pellets into my Traeger and I couldn't remember who made them. Yeah, I put them in another container and tossed the bag. Oops. I went to your site, found the sponsor's page, and I've got more cooking pellets on the way. Yes, sir. Great show, great content. But my goodness, stop singing. Thanks again for all you do for the barbecue community. And don't worry, we'll get you into the Barbecue Hall of Fame eventually. Steve, thank you for writing in. Thank you for patronizing the sponsors of the show. I ask that you give them first consideration first and foremost. Before you end up buying whatever you do, but please give them first consideration. We're no, the singing will stop shortly at the end of the month, and then you will only have another nine or ten months to have show free singing before we roll up season three of American Idol Barbecue Central Show Edition. Tim in Alabama says, Greg, I have to say I'm not a huge fan of the American Idol portion of the show. While I appreciate the effort, there's a lot of generally bad singing. However, last week, all three of you guys were great. There might be a future in karaoke competitions for at least two of you. I would say to keep up the good work, but I don't think I really want to encourage this type of behavior going forward. Love the show. Regards, Tim. Tim, thank you very much. Tim in Alabama writing in on the show. What can I tell you? We're trying really hard on the singing. Where Effort counts like 90% of the time, I think. All right, let me talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills before we get over to Robert Moss. Some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. Two different sizes to choose from, or two different brands or lines, if you will. Choice line. So that is your bare bones model, the original. Still good size cookers to choose from. Jim Bowie, Daniel Boone. Jim Bowie, the biggest one, Daniel Boone's mid-size. So you pick which one is right for you. Both of them will accommodate the pizza oven insert. 
No Wi-Fi connectivity, no app playing around, nothing like that. Just a really good, solid smoker to start out with or to keep you satisfied with. Now, if you want to jump up a couple hundred bucks, fine. You'll get app connectivity. You'll get Wi-Fi connectivity. You'll get two internal beat probes. You'll get some look-in windows, more of a sturdy and robust build on the chassis, some value adds to say the least. But again, this one houses the pizza oven insert as well. Now, if you want something a little bit more portable, might I convince you to take a look at the Davy Crockett? It can go with you anywhere. Still have wood-fired goodness with the pellets. And you're not sacrificing a tremendous amount of capacity as it relates to portability. Two, maybe three pork butts if you TP them the the proper way. But it's certainly up to you. You can power it through battery. You can power it through the 12-volt converter in your car. Whatever you like, it's ready to go. Sold through dealers only, so find one near you. Go visit the dealer, get educated, and then get home ready to rock and have success. Great success right out of the box. King of the castle, king of the castle. King in the castle, king in the castle. That's right, that's you. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We are back with Robert Moss right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host. Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them at 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. My next guest is the contributing editor for Southern Living Magazine and rapidly growing friend of this show. We go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome back none other than Robert Moss. Hey, Robert. Hey, Greg. How's it going? Uh, We are fabulous in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city, ready to get after it here. So we have a main agenda point tonight, Robert, and the more I think about how this even came to be, It was a number of weeks ago. I was on a treadmill getting my morning run in, and I've been taking more and more part in this Clubhouse app, and I'm typically on a panel of speakers in Danielle Bennett's uh, barbecue and grilling goodness, usually turns on around 7 a.m. in the morning, and it's one of the more, if not the most popular live fire Clubhouse on Clubhouse, if that's redundant, I apologize, and this topic came up and it was maybe a uh, throwaway question uh, from Danielle to transition from one topic to the next. And she said, Hey, I just want to go around and say, is a hot dog, a sandwich, which is where we're landing this evening. Now there were 15 or 20 different people on the panel that morning. And it was quickly turning into a little bit of scuttlebutt. (laughs) I was actually accused of, mansplaining by some of the other female panel members because my whole 
I had a preface to answering the question, or I, th- I thought we needed to qualify something before we could diligently answer that question or potentially correctly answer that question, but I'll leave that off to the side here. When I had tossed it around to Daniel Vaughn, he said, people that argue about this just love to argue. They're arguing for arguing's sake, and you wrote me an email and said, ah, not necessarily the case. I actually have an answer, and I can prove it, and Here's where we are on the 29th of June, 2021, on the precipice of finally being able to say, here is the answer. And now the stage is yours. Okay. Well, I don't want to oversell it because I know this this is definitely, everyone has an opinion on the, on the topic, right? And uh, so we just got to have to just work through it, I think, logically, see if we can get get to the answer. So, I mean, how do you decide, right? What's the criteria you're going to to go to to determine if a hot dog's a sandwich? You know, I, I sort of thought about it a lot, and I think there's about f- sort of four things that you can look at you know, to sort of sort of narrow it down. So you, there's a d- dictionary definition yeah, right out of the gate, which is what ev- everybody I think turns to. So, sure. uh, and then there's legal and regulatory uh, definitions. Cause actually there's embedded in the code of laws and, and regulations. There are definitions of, of whether a hot dog is or is not a, a sandwich. So uh, we'll start with those two. So uh, dictionary definition, like if you go to Merriam Webster or any of the dictionaries, it's pretty clear. Like Merriam Webster says two or more slices of bread or a split roll with filling in between. And so just by the literal di- dictionary definition, that split roll with the filling, I think hot dog falls, you know, clearly within that, that parameter. Um, I think where it gets a little more interesting is the, the, all the legal de- definitions. This is usually in the tax code because uh, the mm. states really want to get their retail sales tax. And so in several different states, there are written in the tax law, there's certain, there's, Certain you have to pay sales tax on sandwiches, and so the question becomes, well, what's a sandwich, right? So, like you know, New York State, uh, actually, in their tax code, defines a lot of different things, but it has a whole list of what is a sandwich uh, included on in there are hot dogs uh, and sausages on a roll or a bun, and hamburgers on a roll and a bun. They also put burrito uh, in the sandwich category. Um, that you could argue that maybe it's the tax code. They're, they're, they're trying to get taxes on as many things as, as they can. The burrito is actually, there's a whole interesting legal history I won't go into where that's, the, whether a burrito is a sandwich has actually been in a bunch of lawsuits. Um, <laughs> USDA, Department of Agriculture, actually uh, has a labeling policy that defines what is and, you know, what does and does not require uh, being regulated. And sandwiches are listed in there and it makes clear in their definition, at least, that Hot dogs and, and hamburgers both count, count as sandwiches. So if you want to just go by the book, by the legal definition, I think that that answer is pretty clear. So how are we supposed to go? I mean, I understand that sometimes you run across topics that are just fun to argue about, yep. or perhaps you're amongst a bunch, of pe- uh, a bunch of people who are just generally good debaters, and they would they would be arguing over what defines a pile of dog poop. And who has the best argument? But at some point, we also want to know what's right, what is correct, yeah. regardless of well, who has the better argument. Yeah, and that's where let's bring in the other two dimensions, right? So the other two dimensions, I would say, are common usage, which is you know how do people use the term sandwich and, and hot dog uh, just in, in sort of daily, day, day-to-day life. And then we'll look at historical usage, which for me carries a lot of weight as, as someone who's in, interested in food history. Um, common usage, I th- if you think about it, like if you went to a restaurant and you said, hey, you know, and you picked up the menu and there's a, a section called sandwiches and you look down the list and you saw Reuben, Philly cheesesteak, 
you know, maybe uh, a smash burger and maybe, uh, you know, a, a chili dog and, and something like that. You say, okay, well, that's the list of sandwiches. You know, if there's a plate of spaghetti in there, you'd say, what's spaghetti doing in the sandwich list? But I don't think anybody would really raise an eyebrow to find a hot dog in between, you know, a Reuben or, or a muffaletta or something like that. Um, however, if you went to a restaurant and you said, uh, do you have a, can you give me a, a list of sandwiches? And they gave you a list and all of them were hot dogs. There's a chili dog, a slaw dog, a mustard dog. You say, well, I asked for sandwiches. These are hot dogs. So I think with common usage, it can mm. vary a little bit. Um, I think certainly hot dog and hamburger are a specialized category of sandwich and people sort of expect uh, different treatment. So that's where I go to the, the tiebreaker, go back to the number four, which is a historical usage. And if you go way back to the early days, um, even before a hot dog was a hot dog, it was a Frankfurter. I think everybody knows that uh, the Frankfurt sausage became a Frankfurter. And that quickly became the Frank, there are around uh, 1889, uh, there's a New York Herald uh, description of Coney Island, and it talks about the Frankfurter sandwich at, at Coney Island. And f- from there that follows, there's m- n- numerous accounts of Frankfurter sandwiches appearing in various places, Coney Island among, among them. Within a few years, by 1895, like, there's an MIT publication that refers to eating hot dog sandwiches. So that's, I think, the first um, reference to a hot dog in terms of a Frankfurter that I can find. But in the early days, you see lots and lots of menus and newspaper articles and things talking about hot dog sandwiches and also about hamburger sandwiches because uh, – Hamburger originally was a Hamburg steak, which is a chopped chopped beef sort of steak that eventually got put on bread. And when it did, it became a hamburger sandwich. Sometimes you'll see it as a hamburger steak sandwich. So uh, early on, at least, uh, people who are eating these things, hot dogs and, and, and hamburgers, they said, yep, that's a sandwich for sure. So my definition, at least, that, uh, that I think nails down. For me, a uh, hot dog is emphatically a sandwich and... Yeah, we can argue about it because it's fun, but th- there's not a lot of evidence other than just, I don't think that's right <laughs> that, that you can draw on. Robert Moss joining us here on the show, robertfmoss.com. His website, don't forget you can sign up for his weekly cue sheet as well. A lot of arguments and debates get started and you can't really track where they started from. Is this another one of those things or can you actually start pointing back to where arguments started taking place over this? Well, it's hard to figure out who first argued about it because, you know, that probably happened in, in bars over various points of time and all that. But there is a really interesting point in time where this argument sort of took off. Uh, I actually found, when I was trying to dig into this, I found a reference from 1985 where astronauts on the space shuttle Discovery, uh, during a quiet moment, radioed back to ground control and, and asked them to settle a dispute they were having over whether a hot dog was a sandwich hmm. and uh, the ground control actually got all the rocket engineers there on the ground to, to weigh in. And they actually weighed in. I can't remember. They had some smart ass answer involving measurements and things, but the answer from ground control was that a hot dog was a sandwich. And one of the astronauts lost a bet. So I think up until, you know, well into the 21st century, it was just sort of a fun bar bet kind of thing. Or some people would argue about when they're, when they're bored. But then in 2015, something really curious happens. There's a organization called the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, the uh, NHDSC. And uh, they Every, are Everybody knows about them, arm, of course. Everybody knows about them. Yes. They're actually an arm of the North American Meat Institute which is a big industry trade group with a big headquarters in Connecticut Avenue in, in Washington, D.C. And for various reasons uh, involving Twitter, there was uh, a little dust up over in 2015 uh, where 
the NHDC or sort of hinted that a hot dog might be a sandwich and there was all this kind of stuff. So they came out in November of 2015 with a statement. And it was actually, uh, I think there's headline, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council announces official policy on hot dog as a sandwich controversy in which they came out and said, uh, you know, something along the lines of you wouldn't call uh, the, the Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama is a man, but he's not just a man. So a hot dog is a, is a sandwich, but it's not just a sandwich. And then proceeded to like, you know, sell the hot dog as, as something, a category apart. Of course, these guys represent the national hot dog and sausage sellers. Um, so they, they have a little bias on that. That actually blew up in the press. So there are newspaper stories all over the place, all over the internet. And mm-hmm. I think 2015 is when that, uh, that debate officially became uh, a meme and a, and a raging sort of, you know, pop culture thing. Uh, whereas before it was just something that people would, you know, bore in a bar and might argue about. Robert Moss joining us here on the show, breaking down if a hot dog is a sandwich or not. Uh, I believe it is, and I have for as long as I can remember. And Robert has uh, kind of supported my long belief with actual uh, words and history and actual definitions and all the stuff that matters when you're trying to prove an argument. And, and none of that will mean anything to someone who maintains that a hot dog is, is not a sandwich. Of course. It, it's uh, absolutely... Much know, like I'm going to ask my uh, next segment guest about uh, in, in some form or fashion. Uh, uh, he's uh, the host of Whiskey Cast. I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast mm-hmm. or not, but it's like the leading uh, whiskey podcast and news coverage out there. The, uh, the, uh, the ongoing debate of uh, bourbon and Tennessee whiskey. I mean, you're instantly looking for a fight there if you say, hey, Tennessee whiskey fans, you realize that that is technically bourbon, right? Oh, no, it's Tennessee whiskey. And blah, blah. So this could be a similar uh, fight on the food food fight, if you will, for hot dogs and if it's a sandwich or not. But we feel we've given you the right reference material to make a sound decision here going forward. And if that means you have to change your answer, that's fine. Or just debate as usual and away we go. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is last weekend you were, I guess, a student or you were enrolled in university once again, looking perhaps <laughs> for your second PhD, this time in smokeology, as you were part of Stephen Reichland's Barbecue University. So I've talked to a few people that have been through there. There's a guy out in Colorado that I know that's been maybe seven times or eight times, many years yeah. in a row, actually, until the last few years. So have you ever been to a barbecue university via Stephen Reichlin, number one? And then uh, number two, whether you have or you haven't, what was this specific experience like? Because it was in a new location. Yeah, yeah. So I've not been to, to barbecue U. I've often wanted, always wanted to. Um, it For like 12 years, is in the Broadmoor, at the Broadmoor Resort out in Colorado, in yeah. Colorado Springs. So quite a ways for, for me. Um, and somehow we managed to lure Stephen eastward. And uh, they, they sort of started last year, but it was sort of an abbreviated school because of COVID. So this year was sort of the first full outing at the uh, Montage Palmetto uh, Montage Palmetto Bluff Resort, which is a beautiful um, resort, hotel, and and sort of property. Uh, it's about two hours south of where I am. I'm in Charleston. It's down in Bluffton, South Carolina. So right off the coast uh, in Bluffton. So right on all the, the May River and all these these gorgeous marches and all that kind of stuff. So I drove down and, and got to sit in, yeah, be a student for from Prof- Professor Raiklin. Uh, and it was it was, it was was quite a great experience. Um, I wrote about it in, my, in the, a little bit about the Q-Sheet newsletter. Um, it wrote about all the, yeah, I, I got to take a, a bit of time cooking veggies on like one of these big gaucho grills. And um, we also went out fishing uh, about five miles off the coast of, of, uh, 
uh, coast of South Carolina, caught a bunch of king mackerel and Spanish mackerel and brought them back. And that was in the afternoon. The classes are in the morning and then you have some just free time in the afternoon to go do activities like I went fishing. Um, and so but we brought them to the class next day, worked with Steve. And we do them, and we we grilled them up and uh, really roasted them uh, over indirect heat, and it came out just absolutely fantastic. And just got to you know, he must have had thirty different varieties of grills and pits spread around, and it's sort of semi structured course. You get a little guidance, you get recipes, but then you're sort of off on your own. Everybody's working in groups, so uh, I learned an awful lot, uh, ate a lot of good food, and just had a good time because it's a you know it's in a great place. Did you talk to a lot of the attendees? there like from a journalistic standpoint saying hey what do you think of this class or is it worth the money or perhaps maybe even better question is these are at some palatial resorts so you know there's going to be quite an expense attached from whether you were just going uh, outside of barbecue university or not so what's your personal take on if you had to drop money to go to the broadmoor the greenbrier uh, prior to that wherever is this worthwhile for somebody like you or me, or is this for more set up for rich folks that want to say they have some type of live fire experience after they leave for a week? Um, I think it's sort of in between. Uh, I would say it's, it's definitely not just a you know, uh, you know, it's just not just a, a weekend for for newbies or anything like that. Yeah, but out there, I think was. You know, pretty seriously into to grilling and cooking. You know, you know, a few people tagged along with friends or family who, who may be newbies, but most everyone was pretty pretty serious about it. It's definitely expensive. Um, it you know, all three of those resorts you named, uh, you know, the Broadmoor, the, the Greenbrier, and then Palmetto Bluff. These are not really high end resorts, and so you'll you'll pay the same thing you would pay if you went to stay there just and not go to the university. You know, plus you know, money on top of that for the for the uh, the activities. So I think it's up to to people to decide if if what you're trying to do is go master the fundamentals of grilling and and barbecue and just really get into the weeds of it um that may not be the the thing for you because it's you know a half a day and then you go have fun for half a day so it's it's sort of a mix of education and and recreation uh if you're looking for a you know sort of luxurious weekend away and and but instead of just sitting around by the pool or you know you know, shooting, you know, going fishing or whatever you would do at a resort. If you'd rather spend your your time, you know, hanging out with Stephen Rakeley and, and getting to grill a bunch of grills, and it's definitely worth it. Uh, Robert, I want to give you a couple minutes here before we wrap up. November thirteenth of this year, we'll find the inaugural Holy Smokes, a Low Country Barbecue Festival, taking place. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we just announced to save the date uh, a couple weeks ago. It's going to be November 13th here in Charleston, though it's technically in North Charleston, um, which is just up the peninsula from, from downtown Charleston at a beautiful place called The Bend, which is this huge grassy event space that's overlooking the Ashley River uh, and, the, and the marshes there. There aren't a whole lot of places in Charleston where you can go hang around outside and just sort of look over the marsh and do all that. And that's where this will be. It's going to be a all-day uh, barbecue festival, the kind of thing where you buy a ticket and it's all you can eat. Uh, and we're invited. We, we haven't announced a full pitmaster list yet. That, that's going to be coming out uh, in a couple of stages here over the summer. But um, the sort of founding pitmasters are um, Aaron Siegel and, and, and Taylor Garrigan from Home Team Barbecue here in Charleston, as well as uh, Anthony DiBernardo from Swig and Swine Barbecue, which are two really great barbecue joints here. I think it's. I can go ahead and say that we're, we're uh, inviting some of our friends, uh, John Lewis from Lewis Barbecue here, Rodney Scott from Rodney Scott. So, sort of the whole the the, the Charleston gang will, will will be out there cooking. Um, don't want to sneak out. They won't let me tell all the rest of them. I, I really wish I could. We, we it, the list is almost finalized. 
but we're definitely having about a half dozen pitmasters come in from Texas. I think we'll have one or two from California, from New York. So it's truly going to be uh, national in scope. And uh, so it'll be a chance not just to eat barbecue, but really get a chance to, you know, eat from some of the best, you know, barbecue cooked by some of the best pitmasters in the, in the entire country. So it's going to be a, a great afternoon. Uh, and if you haven't been to Charleston in November, that's the time to come. Don't have a barbecue festival in July or August. Uh, October, November is are the ideal times to do it. So it should be a, a big, a, a great event for everybody coming down. And that's going to be November 13th of this year. That's so right. head on over to robertfmoss.com. Keep up with that. And I'm sure we'll have them on here a bunch of times before it actually takes place. So as new information comes, feel free to pass it along, obviously. And then uh, as you're back on, we can promote it as well. Yep. Mark, Mark, November 13th, if it sounds interested to you. And I think the uh, full Pitmaster list and the tickets will be going on sale. Pitmaster list come out sometime in August. Tickets on sale by the, by the uh, before before uh, Labor Day. So watch for that. And I'm sure I'll, yeah, I'll come back on and tell you the, all the details as we start to finalize those. Go to robertfmoss.com. Also sign up for that Q sheet that's distributed weekly. And you can see Robert Moss on his website and hear a little bit more than occasionally now, which is great because he's a great guest. Robert, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. You got it. There he is, Robert Moss, right there. November 13th, put it on the calendar if that sounded it. Mean, I don't know, does getting fed by some of the best pitmasters out there currently sound good to you? Sounds good to me. I think I want to try that. RobertFMoss.com. Next time he's on, we'll get more, more fuller. We'll get more complete details. Let's change it all the way around and use proper English. Why not? Mark Gillespie is in the green room. Before we get to him, I will talk to you quickly about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue and grilling, a curated selection. Picked by Sterling, Big Papa Ball himself, 13 perfectly balanced rubs and seasonings. Popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the competition circuit and backyards just like mine. Also, the owner of Granny's Barbecue Sauce. So if you're looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everybody, you got to give Granny's a try. And aside from the rubs and sauces, they're selling cookers. That's right. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out that Mac 2 Star General Pellet Cooker. Big Pop is the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? All right. Take a look at that old Hickory Ace BP, the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. If you don't know what kind of cooker you need, call them and ask questions. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop the website, bigpopsmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A smokers.com. We are back with Mark Gillespie right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. If you would prefer, Amazon.com has them as well. Centralites, I think we can agree that there have been a few industries that were able to turn the pandemic into a gold rush of sorts. Many portions of the live fire industry saw a record year last year, much of the same this year as we grind through the first half of 2021. 
perhaps another industry that I'm guessing saw an uptick in the liquor uh, was the liquor business, especially the brown liquors. But how does one gauge the success or the risings or the goings on in that industry? Easy. You book a segment with the authority in the industry when it comes to covering the goings on in that world. He is the host of the award-winning podcast aptly named Whiskey Cast that delivers new episodes each week. Damn near 900 in total at this point. He's back for a return visit, and I am happy to have him back. We race to the hotline, and welcome back, Mark Gillespie. Hey, Mark. Hey, Greg. How you doing? I'm fine and wonderful to have. I can't believe it has been five years plus since you have been on, and shame on me because so much has happened over that time. However, you look exceedingly well. You realize there's been well. a lot of good whiskeys have matured in that yes, time. Yes, well... I, that's what that's what it takes for whiskey, right? It takes time in order to mature. It takes time. Over five years, like I have I have not matured it. at all in five years. I'll, I'm happy to say that. Same here. Yeah, uh, I mean, you look exceedingly well. What's the secret? Is it the dram after dram? It's uh, the nightly dram keeps the doctor away. Yes, good. Now, outside of not traveling as much, Mark, as you look back, what have been the biggest change or changes or adjustments that you have had to make? over the past 14 months or so? I'm doing a lot more Zoom stuff now. I think we all are. But uh, I have, it actually has sort of been a blessing for me because uh, it forced a bunch of the uh, folks in the whiskey industry to upgrade their IT connections at the distillery uh, so that they could do Zoom calls internally within their companies. Because, uh, for instance, uh, Scotland didn't have the greatest, a lot of the distilleries in Scotland didn't have the greatest uh, network lines coming in. So you couldn't use Zoom to talk to distillery managers. We had to use phones. And now they're all used to doing Zoom, so it's easier to get these guys on a Zoom call. So it's increased the audio quality. But the fact is, is that we're now getting more and more tastings with these guys. It's it's easy for them to jump on a Zoom call with a bunch of us when they've got something to talk about rather than try to do uh, an, a press trip or try to send out a news release. They can send out samples to us individually if they can get them shipped, and then we can, uh, we can do the tastings online with them. But I'm looking forward to getting back out on the road in uh, the next month or so. Mark Gillespie joining me here on the show. WhiskeyCast.com is the website, and you can follow him on Twitter at WhiskeyCast. Uh, Mark, five years, a lot of time to catch up on what I'm sure have been some really big news breaks here over the last uh, five years since you've been on the show last. But let's take a look back at a year ago as March and COVID set in. What were the biggest stories to come out of that time? Well, let's talk about the biggest story that didn't happen. All right. We all were going nuts when COVID hit and governments started shutting everything down. The bars were shut down. Tasting rooms at uh, distilleries were shut down. And for the majority of the little small craft distillers that are out there, the mom and pop distilleries in your local neighborhoods, most of the revenue they collected was at for bottle sales in their distillery shops and the cocktail sales in their tasting rooms. They don't do a whole lot of what we call off-premise or liquor store sales or on-premise in the bars and restaurants because they don't have the kind of uh, production that gets them on the shelf at your local uh, bars and restaurants, or especially the chains. 
So there were real concerns that if we didn't get some help from Congress for the distilling industry, that a bunch of these guys were going to go out of business. And while we did lose a few, a lot of them were able to pivot to hand sanitizer just to keep the mm -hmm. doors open. Mm -hmm. But the paycheck protection program systems and the other loans that came in and the other government assistance, we did not lose nearly as many distilleries as I think everybody thought we would by the end of last year. And that is good news. It's funny that you mentioned the the hand sanitizer. That was like a huge thing as it was happening. There's a couple of very small distilleries on the west side of Cleveland. And you're right. They pivoted from doing their whiskeys and, and bourbons or whatever they were into to doing two-gallon jugs of hand sanitizer. And you were scheduling a time to pick up. And they seemed that they were doing fairly brisk sales outside of what they were normally getting. I don't know. But there were people coming in. There was cash hitting the till. So, like you said, that's probably one of the things that a lot of folks maybe saw or experienced but didn't really talk about, and that's a good story. From a consumer side, Mark, was there an instant spike in sales as things started to really set in? Was there uh, needs or a lack of supplies and, and all of this stuff like some of the other folks were experiencing in other industries? Well, there were problems with supply because you had some states like Pennsylvania that shut their liquor state liquor stores down completely. And the, the small distillers benefited from that because they were allowed to stay open. So you had places like Wiggle Distillery in Pittsburgh that they couldn't open their tasting room, but they were able to sell and ship within the state. So they started doing some good business out of that. Uh, overall, we saw about a 2% increase from what I've seen on the stats in overall alcohol sales during 2020, a 2% increase over 2019. And while that number sounds small, that still amounts to a lot of booze that went out the door. Mm. But we are paying for it now because uh, you have distilleries that, and I've gotten reports of shortages in some regions. Um, I had a listener in Memphis email us uh, about a week and a half ago because he could not find the 1.75 handle bottles of Old Forester bourbon and was being told that we can't get it anymore. And we checked with Brown Foreman with Jones Old Forester, and they said, yeah, we're having problems getting glass bottles mm. and we're going to have shortages in some areas, but it's not going to be long-term and we're not discontinuing it, but we will need some time to get caught back up. So yeah, you are having shortages of uh, corks and stoppers and labels, especially when that stuff has to be imported because of the, uh, the problems with logistics globally and getting stuff moved across the oceans. Let's talk about that 2% increase here just for a second. In the live fire world, the success was coming from folks being at home, having access to the internet, finding a new way to cook if they weren't already in the live fire at that point. And then buying right. the inventory that was available to them through various outlets and so forth. I'm asking you to speculate, of course, unless there are reports for you to specifically reference, was the whiskey portion on the 2% up more because people were dulling the pain that the pandemic was bringing in or they were bored and just consuming more or some of both? What do you think? A little bit of both. And remember, all the restaurants were closed too. So people had disposable income. They weren't going out to eat. 
So they had money to spend on, and they weren't traveling. So they had disposable income that they could do mail order because a lot of states started allowing shipments and direct to consumer shipments that market opened up. So you started having people who had extra money to spend and figured, okay, if I'm going to be stuck at home, I'm not going to drink cheap stuff. If I'm going to be stuck at home, let's get the good bottle. In your most recent episode, you have an in-depth conversation with a college professor out of British Columbia about the history of alcohol. Folks can go grab it on your website or on your podcast feed, of course. One of the things that really struck me, and I guess this is more of an observation than a question, was how telling the where the market seemed to change. And what I mean by that is there was fermentation, and then here comes this thing called distillation. And that really changed the game and perhaps opened up a much bigger door to things like alcoholism and drinking one's self to death and a few other bad things. As he said, you have to really try to consume enough beer or wine to do the same type of thing that you would be able to do with liquor. And even then, it right. might even be at, at a 3 4 or 5%, it would be really tough to do. Could you make the argument that without distillation, we could be perhaps a more soberly drunk society uh, had dist distillation ever came about? I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> well, we don't want that. We're just so we're just talking off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you, I think he makes a very good point for that. But we would have look. People have been figuring out ways to alter their brain chemistry or <laughs> knock that prefrontal cortex out of line. Pretty much since the cavemen figured out how fruit ferments and what happens. And uh, I think it was uh, the comedian Dennis Miller who once said, if we didn't have drugs or alcohol or anything, people would go stand in their yard, spin around until they got dizzy just to get the same feeling. Right. So if we hadn't had distillation when we got it, somebody would have figured it out. They're going to go, okay, how can, what can we do with this to make it stronger? Mark Gillespie joining coming about no matter what. Yep, no doubt. Mark Gillespie joining us here on the show. Whiskeycast.com is his website and at Whiskeycast on Twitter. Um, in some bourbon news or a whiskey news in general, one of the bigger moves recently was the release of George Dickel's bourbon. And they have long been known for their Tennessee whiskey, which, as I had referenced in my opening segment with Robert Moss, if you're a true whiskey nerd, you understand how mash bills run, how storage works and age works, and all the other stuff that qualifies bourbon as bourbon, so you would know the Tennessee whiskey is technically a bourbon, which is where yeah. the fighting ensues. Outside of that, can you break down a bit further why this particular effort by this particular um, uh, distiller is, is kind of a big deal? Well, because George Dickel basically was the number two Tennessee whiskey behind Jack Daniels for the last 30, 40 years and had never done anything other than Tennessee whiskey with the exception of Dickel Rye. What happened was that uh, Nicole Austin, their head distiller and general manager at uh, Diageo's Cascade Hollow Distillery in Tullahoma, where Dickel is made, was going through her warehouses and finding barrels that didn't match the taste profile that they need for their regular Dickel expressions. and these were good whiskeys and good barrels. They just tasted more like bourbon. So she said, okay, we're just going to go ahead and 
create dick old bourbon she convinced the marketing folks to let her do it put an eight-year-old age statement on it just to uh, plant a flag in the ground and yes tennessee whiskey is bourbon in fact it's written into tennessee state law they basically copied in the standards for bourbon in the federal at the federal level into the state law for tennessee whiskey that you have to make it the same way you make bourbon the only thing you have to do differently is use the Lincoln County process of charcoal filtering. Mm. And frankly, the federal government doesn't have a problem with anybody else using that for bourbon. So that's why, yes, Tennessee whiskey is bourbon. I mean, why, why the Tennessee? I, admit, I like the Dickel bourbon. So why the, why the big dick contest then? I mean, if it's bourbon, then why not? Why do they have to call it Tennessee whiskey? Is it just because why does anybody do anything because you can't? Yeah, because they can, because they're trying to differentiate themselves. If you've got five Tennessee whiskeys and 50 bourbons on the market, you want to differentiate yourselves. That's why Lem Motlow got the federal government back in the 1950s to let him use the term Tennessee whiskey on Jack Daniels because he wanted to differentiate himself from bourbon in marketing. It's all a marketing thing. And yeah, it's basically a bit of a measuring contest, but frankly, they're both equal in my opinion. If we were going into the distillation business then uh, this coming week, Mark, would we want to put on a Tennessee whiskey on the shelf then just to set apart because there's fewer of that? Or is there not necessarily fewer of one or the other? Well, there are a lot fewer Tennessee whiskeys because you can make bourbon in any U.S. state, but you can only make Tennessee whiskey in Tennessee. Hmm. So pretty soon you're going to run out of real estate and water. Right, so we better but snatch up the, our land quickly if we're going to make this well, million yeah, dollars. Well, yeah, there are more there are more distilleries <laughs> popping up in Tennessee. Uh, in fact, Jeff Arnett, who was the uh, master distiller at Jack Daniels, left Jack last fall, and we just a few weeks ago found out what he's doing. He's going into work with a new company called Company Distilling, that will have a place just outside of Knoxville in Alcoa, Tennessee, mm. as part of a big master planned development. And they're also going to have a couple of other satellite distilleries out in the uh, the Pigeon Forge, Dollywood area, and Gatlinburg area, just to uh, attract the tourist crowds there. <laughs> so they are actually getting serious about uh, expanding that. The folks at Old Smoky Moonshine in Gatlinburg just released uh, their James Ownby Reserve Bourbon, which is named for uh, Joe Baker's, uh, I think, fifth generation great grandfather and. Joe's the guy that founded Old Smoky, so he gets to name it. Hmm. But that's a Tennessee bourbon. That's not a Tennessee whiskey. Before I ask you rating on that, because, uh, I mean, in my opinion, you rated it pretty high, which means you must have liked it at 93 points. But before we get to that, you had mentioned that the uh, the head distiller at Dickel was going through and tasting some of these other barrels. I mean, I would assume, I don't know, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume in many of the other bigger uh, distilleries that this is a typically general process where they're going through and tasting stuff. Do other companies get rid of it or do they let it mature further to get to whatever taste profile that they were looking for in the first place? I mean, it seems a little earth shattering that she was maybe the first one to say, Hey, this really tastes like a bourbon. So instead of Tennessee whiskey, we're going to label it a bourbon, but that's, is that something that generally happens? Did you hear any of that, Mark? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. It froze up, and I just refreshed my screen, and it popped right back up. So. All right. So I was saying, um, let me uh, try and cut it down a little bit. The distiller at, at Dickel was going through and tasting some of those barrels and said, hey, this has more of a, a bourbon profile. 
Is that something that typically happens in all the other places? And if so, what are they doing with the stuff that tastes like bourbon? Do they let it age out more in hopes that it gets to where they want it to be? No, they just blend it away in smaller amounts. And then the stuff that tastes like uh, Tennessee whiskey, they'll just put more of that into the blend. Because uh, keep in mind that whiskey is more about blending. You're taking 200 barrels and putting them together to create a batch, something like that. I'm using, I'm throwing out the number 200. Sure. Well, in this case, you might have to use a few more of the. Oh, dear. It's better when he freezes uh, and I'm talking than when I freeze. Wait, I'm not froze, but he is. He'll come back here in a second and finish up talking about blending 200 or 300 barrels at a time. I didn't realize that that's exactly how the process works, is that they're blending multiple barrels. I thought that they just poured a barrel out. Uh, or, or maybe uh, five or six of them that were all uh, pumped into the barrels during a bottling and that they're just racked and aged, and there you go. So I didn't realize that there was... But, I mean, I guess when you stop to think about it, these are really big companies and providing a credible amount of alcohol, and so you're going to be blending a, a couple hundred different barrels. Uh, anyway, Mark, I was just saying that you were kind of surprising me that there were that number of uh, barrels going into making a batch, as it were. I just didn't know anything about that. Well, a lot of folks like to talk about small batch whiskeys. Yeah. There is no definition for what a small batch is. Mm. A small batch could be five barrels. A small batch could be 500 barrels. If they're using, uh, say, like a, a Jim Beam is doing, say, 2,000 barrels for a batch of Jim Beam or Knob Creek. They a small batch to those guys might be a couple of hundred barrels. Hmm. So there is no definition. It's what you call it. Small batch is a marketing term. Realistically, it's uh, small batch is whatever you want it to be and whatever you can get away with. In fact, uh, the folks at Russell's Reserve actually labeled the ultimate contradiction in small batch whiskeys because they they had labeled one of the Russell's Reserve expressions a few years ago. A small batch, single barrel bourbon. <laughs> and that's about as small a batch as you can get no is doubt. one barrel. That's the smallest. Yeah. Wow. Um, are you in hey, a Can I give you a, a little bit of a news tip for your barbecue yes, friends? Please. Uh, Kentucky Bourbon Festival is expanding next year in 2022. Mark the weekend of June 11th and 12th on your calendar. Because they're working, the bourbon festivals organizers are working with the Kansas City Barbecue Society. All right. They're going to do the uh, Bourbon Classic Barbecue Competition in Bardstown, Kentucky. Hmm. And it'll have the pro category, but they're also going to have one for the distillery teams. Because a lot of the distilleries have their own pit guys, sure. too. Yep. So they're it's going to be a barbecue weekend next June 11th and 12th in Bardstown. All right, we'll put that on the uh, items that are coming up here. Are you into smoking cocktails before we wrap it up this evening? I have goofed off with it a little bit. Uh, the folks at Carolina Joe's sent me a cocktail smoker, and uh, the butane torch was taken away from me so I don't burn down the house around all the whiskey in the back here. So uh, I haven't played with it much, but I have tried it once or twice. And uh, I got to admit, I'm not a cocktail person. I prefer my whiskey neat. I don't even like putting ice in it. Mm. But every once in a while, a cocktail is nice. And 
smoking it does adding with like the wood pellets or whatever does give you a little bit of that isla essence in some whiskeys that otherwise wouldn't be smoky so there's nothing wrong with it all right once in a while understood uh, mark gillespie is the host of whiskey cast of course and you can find him over at whiskeycast.com at whiskeycast on the tweeter where he's very active Mark, appreciate the time, and let's make sure that we're doing it before another five-year elapses again. Anytime, Greg. Thanks for having me on. All right, you got it. There he is, Mark Gillespie from Whiskey Cast. That's right. And a number of you jumping in on the instant chat saying, I listen to Whiskey Cast. Tell Mark we said hi. Greetings from Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania has whiskey friends. Say hello to Mark. All right. Nice to see the intermixing of smoking and drinking. Still doing well. 2021. We thank Mark Gillespie for joining me. And where am I at here? All right, let's do this. I'll talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits since 1983. Handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston, Texas in that time. Establishing itself as one of the premier brands in high-quality offset and pellet cookers. Setting itself apart by using heavy 7 and 10-gauge steel in every cooker. 304 stainless roll-top lids and front shelves as well. Why does it matter? By using heavy-quality material, pits and spit smokers reach and maintain temperatures so you don't have to worry about the meat. You can, you don't have to, you can worry about the meat. You don't have to worry about the heat. That's right. Now, where some companies focus on being a low-cost provider, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to do this? Of course. But they don't like tack welds, cheap stainless, electronics that you can't trust, all that stuff. Plus, steel suppliers giving you material that can be used in the harshest environments around, so they will perform in any and all conditions. And the controllers made right here in the States. Unimpeded transparency into the programming. If you don't have a dealer near you, call Coy in the shop at 844-650-6250. Whether you're backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or competition team smoking 50 racks of ribs, they got something for you. Visit them online, pitsandspits.com, all spelled out, or see their pits in the wild across social media at their handle at pits and spits. Once again, all spelled out. We're back to wrap the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content. In an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. This portion being brought to you by Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, Fireboard 2 Pro. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. And if you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816 816- 945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, and Fireboard 2 Pro. And we thank Mark Gillespie. Once again, his website is whiskeycast, C-A-S-T, whiskeycast.com. You can subscribe to his podcast on all the podcast platforms. The preeminent news and journalistic authority in the world of whiskey, and he has the awards to prove it. We might have got started around the same time. He's got almost 900 episodes under his belt. I got to have roughly the same, maybe more. But great. Guy the Cooking Sam. 
weighing in on a little pullback from the uh, the cat stuff that I used to talk about. I peed on that interview. Uh-oh. It's an inside joke. All right, reporting of the second hour, plenty to get to, including the American Idol Barbecue Central Show results at the top. Go ahead and refresh your libations and join me in just a few moments. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Networks. Stick around. We'll be right back.